0: I'm Gordon Watt, a retired emergency physician, lawyer, and coroner, the author of Death Text to Coroner's Handbook. More than half a century's work has given me great insights into the dying process that the ways people actually die will pass on to you. Joanne Riley joins me to explain the science of the pathways to death, and to help everyone easily understand how people die, we will use simple English. Those who are ill, their family members and caregivers, People questioning a death, or simply anyone interested in the various ways life ends, will value this podcast. In today's podcast, Joanne and I are going to discuss the different ways that events, starting within the heart, cause someone to die. Much more about this subject can be read in Chapter 2 of Death Text A Corners Handbook that's now available on Amazon.ca. So, Joanne, let's start with a question. How does the word heart usually pop up in your everyday conversation.
1: Mostly as a metaphor, I should imagine. Often I hear the word heart used to describe something central or important. Heart is also used when talking about love. The feeling of love is quaintly pictured by red, stylized hearts any time of the year, but especially in the weeks running up to Valentine's Day. Probably most people, not just Christian theologians, consider love to be our most important feeling, Without anyone to love or to be loved by, many feel life's hardly worth living. For centuries, so many have understood the heart's vital role in maintaining life that the word heart has become a metaphor for anything important.
0: How often do you hear the word heart used to describe the organ in a body?
1: Mostly when someone wants to discuss their failing health. Nobody ever talked to me about their heart until a few years ago. It was only once a couple of my childhood friends started to develop cardiac problems that I began to hear the word heart in most conversations.
0: Did your friends' discussions ever make you wonder how the normal heart works or what goes wrong with a heart to stop it beating?
1: You bet. Both questions have always interested me, but nobody has ever answered them in ways that were easy for me to understand.
0: Well, let me see what I can do. How about if we start with some of the basics? You probably know that the regular pumping of the heart circulates freshly oxygenated blood around the body day in and day out. Only with the blood's continuous delivery of oxygen can all our body's organs remain alive and functioning. So you should think of the human heart as simply a pump. A heart is primarily a ball of muscles surrounding four interior chambers filled with blood. The muscular heart's regular contraction and relaxation will pump blood through its four chambers every day and every night, all life long. This pump's powered by electricity that continually runs through the heart's muscles 24 hours a day, whether a person is asleep or awake.
1: If it works when we're asleep, the heart's electrical system must operate quite differently from that serving other parts of the body, mustn't it?
0: Yes, the heart's electrical system is said to be autonomic. It's a system that works automatically without any instructions from the mind. The brain directs a different nervous system to control voluntary movements. For example, if the brain wants to pour a cup of coffee, it has to issue a series of instructions. First, the brain must tell an arm to move towards a cup. Next, it tells the arm's hand to grasp the cup's handle and place the cup on a table. Finally, it instructs the arm to grab the coffee pot and pour the coffee into the cup then the arm can rest. Unlike that arm, a heart cannot rest, it must keep beating. Had one to consciously direct heartbeats, life would be very short ending once the newborn infant takes its first nap. Fortunately for most of us, the heart's electrical system keeps working for many years without any need to think about it at all. Electricity's pathway through the heart is very clear. The electrical impulse originates in a clump of specialized cells called a node situated on the roof of the heart's right atrium or upper chamber. Then the current flows around that chamber to meet at a second node located where the heart divides into its four separate chambers. The electrical impulse next travels down the muscle, separating the heart's two lower chambers, called the ventricles. Finally, the current flows up both the ventricles' outside walls. As this electrical current charge flows through them, the muscle fibers contract, pumping blood out, then the electrical impulse dissipates. Muscle fibers relax, chambers refill with blood, ready to pump once again. This process is repeated over and over for a lifetime. And those are the basics of how a heart operates properly.
1: You said the lower chambers of the heart were ventricles. Are the upper chambers called atriums?
0: No, a single upper chamber is called an atrium, but the plural of the word is atria. Now, let's talk about what happens to blood while it sits in those chambers. Blood needing oxygen enters the heart through its right atrium and then flows through two valves before being pumped by the right ventricle into the lungs to receive fresh oxygen. Blood with replenished oxygen then passes through two more valves as it flows from the lungs into the heart's left atrium. Then it goes through its left ventricle and finally around the rest of the body.
1: So that explains how the heart works as a pump. What sorts of things go wrong with it that will cause death?
0: As people age, their hearts, like all other parts of their body, wear out and degenerate. Cardiac aging leads to the heart chamber's walls becoming thinner or thickening. Valves become damaged and leak, causing blood to backflow. The electrical system malfunctions as the heart's muscular walls through which electricity runs degenerate.
1: And I suppose all those changes eventually put an end to the heart's ability to pump blood?
0: Sure. Those changes all will cause cardiac death. Now let's talk about how the coronary arteries degenerate. Nowadays, almost everybody's heard of cholesterol. Well, cholesterol starts to accumulate in coronary arterial walls even in young adults. The reason for this is partly genetic, but cholesterol deposits are certainly more likely to develop in people who eat a rich diet of fatty food. But one doesn't have to pig out on french fries and southern fried chicken to get cholesterol in the arteries. Almost all adults in developed countries are likely to have some cholesterol in their coronary arteries nowadays.
1: How is cholesterol in coronary arteries harmful?
0: Cholesterol starts to appear in an arterial wall as a yellow streak. At that early stage of deposition, cholesterol in a coronary artery is harmless. Once more cholesterol accumulates, though, the streak turns into a lump called a plaque. That transformation makes the situation quite different. Cholesterol plaques play an important role in cardiac deaths.
1: And why is that?
0: Well, a cholesterol plaque bulging deeply into the center of an artery causes eddies to develop in the blood that flows past the plaque. This swirling creates a problem for the red blood cells that transport oxygen to the body's tissues. Red blood cells that are flowing through their arteries constantly bang into one another. These collisions create static electricity that clumps together bunches of red blood cells.
1: Is static electricity the type that makes a piece of paper stick to your sweater?
0: That's right. And that piece of paper will fall off your sweater when that static electrical charge wanes. Similarly, red blood cell clumps usually break up quite quickly when their static electrical charge fades. Its disappearance allows individual red blood cells to continue to flow separately as they move from blood vessel to blood vessel. Still, red blood cells repeatedly clump and come apart as they travel around the body. However, eddies change that pattern. In eddies, cells form clots that won't break up, and when a clot forms that will not break up, it's called a thrombus. The word's plural form is thrombi, and a big thrombus will completely block all blood flow. Through a coronary artery.
1: Besides causing eddies and thrombi to develop, is there any other way cholesterol plaques are harmful?
0: Yes. Part or even the whole cholesterol plaque can tear away from an arterial wall. A partially developed plaque swings loose into the middle of its artery where it starts to flap in the blood that flows by.
1: Does the now flapping cholesterol plaque block all blood passing through its artery?
0: Yes. When that plaque's big enough, If a loose plaque only partially blocks an artery, blood can still flow past it, but eddies caused by the loosened plaque will cause a thrombus to develop. That thrombus will grow bigger and bigger until it completely blocks the artery.
1: Then what happens?
0: That depends on the diameter of the artery. Big coronary arteries nourish lots of heart muscle fibers, smaller arteries, fewer of course. Once a thrombus completely seals off a coronary artery, the Area of heart muscle at artery oxygenates, dies. Is that a heart attack? Heart attack's a popular term. In healthcare, myocardial infarction is the way to describe this process that kills heart muscle. Both these medical words are long, so they're often shortened to just MI when people talk about the process conversationally.
1: I know lots of people recover from heart attacks or myocardial infarctions. Why are some fatal?
0: Whether death occurs or not depends on a couple of things. One is just how much heart muscle is lost. Another is whereabouts in the heart the MI has taken place.
1: If the amount of muscle that dies is larger, is the pain experienced in fatal myocardial infarctions worse?
0: Not always. Every medical student learns a classical description of myocardial infarction pain. It usually starts as dull heavy pressure on the left side of the chest The pain then radiates into the left arm and perhaps the jaw or abdomen. As soon as physicians are out in practice, though, they learn those symptoms often do occur this way, but they're certainly not present in every MI.
1: What other symptoms come with myocardial infarctions then?
0: Well, some of them are completely painless. These silent myocardial infarctions are only discovered when evidence of an old one pops up on a routine electrocardiogram. Silent MIs can happen in both men and women, but one sex difference in the sensation of a myocardial infarction is that pain is often different for many women. Quite a few women feel the pain of a myocardial infarction like indigestion more than anything else. The variety of different pains felt by myocardial infarction survivors is also shared by those who die from one. Some lucky people who develop an MI instantly collapse dead with no pain at all. Others die in exquisite agony Most, while dying, feel something in between these two extremes.
1: When a heart attack triggers a sudden collapse and loss of consciousness, what happens?
0: Dying cardiac muscle upsets the heart's electrical flow. Its most dangerous result is ventricular fibrillation, where the ventricles stop squeezing, and both atria and ventricles just flap or quiver. Why ventricular fibrillation starts, nobody knows right now. However, it's a well-known fact that ventricular fibrillation ends a great many cardiac deaths.
1: So, when ventricular fibrillation starts, do you suddenly lose consciousness because blood stops flowing to your brain?
0: That's right. A person standing when ventricular fibrillation starts collapses unconscious. Death follows painlessly three to five minutes later.
1: We've talked about how degenerating coronary arteries fatally disturb the heart's regular electrical conduction system. Is there any other way aging causes cardiac death?
0: To understand another pathway to a cardiac death, let's just talk a little more about changes in the heart that occur when a person initially survives a myocardial infarction. Dying cardiac muscle fibers swell. The formerly firm bands of fiber that make up the muscles lose their toughness and soften to become jelly-like. As people recover from their MIs, most of the time these weak dead muscle fibers progressively change into tough scar tissue. Provided the scar tissue does not unduly upset the heart's electrical conduction system, life goes on, though perhaps less energetically.
1: Why did you just say, quote, most of the time?
0: Well, scar tissue doesn't always develop. There is a period before scar tissue develops when the dead heart muscle fibers are in their jelly-like state that is very dangerous. Sometimes the blood's pressure inside the heart chamber causes these dead fibers to tear, Blood then gushes out of the ruptured heart, and this rent in the heart muscle upsets its regular rhythm and stops blood from flowing to the brain. That person suddenly loses consciousness and drops dead.
1: Is a ruptured heart a painful death?
0: No, dead heart muscle fibers lack working nerves. When these dead heart muscle fibers tear, the wall ruptures painless, loss of consciousness is immediate, and death takes place shortly afterwards.
1: What would make one of these wall ruptures happen?
0: Sometimes diseases will thin the heart's walls, making a tear more likely. Coronary artery disease, where cholesterol collects in the walls of coronary arteries, is the most common one. Now, to understand another mechanism of death in the aging heart, let's see what happens when its valves start to degenerate. The edges of degenerating valve cusps begin to allow blood to flow through them even when the valves are tightly closed. This backflow means some blood ends up in the chamber above. That extra quantity of blood presses harder against those chamber walls. The increasing pressure makes that chamber enlarge. Its walls will also thin, even to the point of being no thicker than a sheet of paper.
1: You wouldn't think a heart wall as thin as paper would be able to pump blood around very well, though, would you?
0: Of course not. When a heart can't squeeze blood through a body's arteries very well, Pressure in the lungs' blood vessels builds up. Fluid seeps out of the lungs' tiniest blood vessels into the little air sacs in each lung. Once this fluid has collected in the lungs, a condition called congestive heart failure develops.
1: Lots of people I know suffer from congestive heart failure, but they seem to be successfully treated by simply taking pills.
0: That's usually the case when the congestive heart failure is mild. Very severe congestive heart failure can be fatal, though. Gravity causes the extra fluid in mild congestive heart failure to collect only at the bottom of the lungs. As long as no fluid collects any further up the lungs, these mild degrees of congestive heart failure are easily treated with pills. Should fluid fill all the lung sacs, though, it creates an extreme and often fatal degree of heart failure called pulmonary edema. When it's fatal, death arises from asphyxia.
1: Does this sort of cardiac pump failure only happen when heart walls become too thin?
0: No. Sometimes the heart will also stop pumping when its ventricular walls become too thick. Ventricular walls don't thicken just because of disease. Athletes develop thick heart walls from their extreme exercise. Genes will cause cardiac wall thickening too. A heart's wall may thicken so much that it prevents blood from being pumped around the body. Ventricles have become too stiff stop blood from pumping in much the same way. There are a few diseases that will stiffen heart walls, and you can read more about them in Chapter 2 of Death Text: The Corners Handbook that's now available on Amazon.ca. Both stiff and thick ventricular walls cause cardiac death from ventricular fibrillation.
1: Is there any other mechanism we haven't talked about that describes a way a heart can die?
0: Just one. To explain this type of cardiac death, we need to know that the outer wall of the heart is partially covered by a pericardial sac. This sac slides back and forth over the outside wall of the heart using fluid the sac produces as a lubricant. When too large a quantity of this lubricating fluid is produced, though, it creates what's called a pericardial effusion. The bigger that a pericardial effusion becomes, the faster the heart must beat to continue to pump enough oxygenated blood around the body in its effort to keep everything working properly. Nerve endings in the stretched pericardial sac bring on a sharp chest pain, and people become aware that their hearts are now beating very rapidly too. Breathing becomes difficult, and this, on top of everything else, makes people with a pericardial effusion very anxious. Pericardial effusion only becomes fatal once the effusion becomes big enough to prevent the heart from pumping enough oxygenated blood around the body. When the brain doesn't get enough oxygen, a person loses consciousness. This turns into a period of coma and that ends in death. A pericardial effusion is usually caused by a viral infection of the pericardium called pericarditis. A different form of pericarditis called constrictive pericarditis can also stop the heart from pumping. Constrictive pericarditis is found in hearts affected by TB, rheumatoid arthritis, or in hearts scarred by severe chest trauma. A tight band of tough tissue, after a bout of this type of pericarditis, becomes constrictive and causes death when it mechanically prevents the heart from pumping. Finally, the heart will have to stop pumping when a heavy object that lands on a person's chest wall squashes it.
1: I know that cardiac deaths are pretty common. How often do they occur?
0: They're common, all right. The percentage of cardiac deaths varies a bit from year to year and from place to place. In Canada, the United States, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, heart disease usually represents 20 to 30% of all deaths. In Europe, the figure is a bit higher, at 40 to 50%. In less developed countries, there used to be far fewer cardiac deaths, but that's not the case anymore, as prosperity makes their inhabitants emulate more developed countries' lifestyles and diets, residents of these countries are unfortunately catching up with us. There's a lot more to read about The Way the Heart Dies in Chapter 2 of Death Text to Coroner's Handbook, and it's now available on Amazon.ca. On our next podcast, Joanne and I will discuss in very simple terms how the brain dies. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Ways People Actually Die. If you want more information about what you've just listened to before our next episode, you can always go to deathtextbook.com and discover how to purchase a copy of Death Text, The Coroner's Handbook, through Amazon. That book is a source of all our podcasts and contains much more fascinating material about each topic that we will be discussing. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, both Joanne Riley and I, Gordon Watt, ask you to leave a review on Apple Podcasting and Spotify and share this episode with your friends. Okay, well, that's it for now then, I guess.